Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we mentioned at the start of our service, the account of Job's life is pretty familiar to many Christians. Although we don't know a whole lot about uh, the circumstances uh, surrounding Job's life, or at least the historical context in which he lived, the Bible tells us that he lived in a place called Uz, which was probably uh, in the Middle East somewhere, uh, probably around the, the place where Abraham and his family came from, uh, what would now be modern-day Kuwait or southern Iraq, somewhere in that area most likely. But we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. And that place name is, is lost uh, to the, the murkiness of ancient history. But from the description of, of Job's uh, circumstances, his personal circumstances, it seems likely that he probably lived sometime around the time of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We do know a little bit more about the specific personal circumstances of Job's life. The Bible tells us that for Job's time, at least, he was the embodiment of success. He had a tremendous number of animals, which was uh, the, the standard of livelihood at that time and place in which he lived. He had cattle, sheep, and donkeys, and camels. And at a time also when large families were especially considered to be a divine blessing, well, Job was especially blessed. He had ten children, seven sons, and three daughters, all of whom, the Bible tells us, followed in the godly ways of their father. Job himself was a man of extraordinary vision, exhibiting integrity and piety, faithfulness in God in all aspects of his life. However, at the very height of his prosperity, the roof caved in, metaphorically, and, and as we'll see also later, literally for him. All of his successes rapidly turned to failures and to tragedies, one after another. First, invading marauders captured all of his cattle and then murdered his servants who were taking care of his cattle. And then fire from heaven came and consumed all of his flocks of sheep. And then a hurricane-like wind came and leveled the house where his sons and daughters were having a gathering. And all of them died in that tragic accident. And as if all of these tragedies were not enough, Job himself was afflicted with painful and loathsome skin disease that led him to mourn and sit in ashes and then to try to relieve the pain of that skin disease by taking broken pieces of pottery and scraping those sores on his skin. And instead of providing support for him, his wife instead urged him to curse God and die, just to give up on life. And so it's within this context of gloom and doom that the words of our text, Job's words of utter lament that we just heard read, must be understood. Every word and sentence of Job, is, as, we, as we just heard, is injected with cynicism and pessimism, Life is fleeting and futile, like a breath that we see in the winter. It produces vapor that we see hanging in the air, but just for an instant, that vapor is gone. Job says, like a cloud that vanishes and is gone. One day, Job and his life, his, his children, his family, one day they are there, and then the next, he says, a person returns no more to his house. 
because he is dead. What about the nature of this brief life? Is it full of happiness and contentment? No, Job says it has months of emptiness and nights of misery. He describes his sleepless nights tossing until the dawn. Have you ever experienced nights like that? How would you respond if you were in Job's circumstances? If you had accumulated the land and the cattle and and all that material wealth that Job had, apparently had very close family ties with your wife and children, a a reputation of success in, in your job, and then within a short period of time, everything, literally everything except your life itself, went up in smoke how hard he had worked to gain all of those possessions. His interest was more than just convenience and wages. Job worked hard. As he describes it in the beginning of our text, has not a man hard service on earth? And then to add physical pain to his misery, he had that ugly and and painful skin disease that that hardened his flesh and made it scab over and ooze with pus. Certainly Job was afflicted. Without too much difficulty, the ancient Job could easily be garbed in modern flesh. Cynicism and pessimism are widespread in our time, not only in this country, but also all around the world as well. In spite of the incredible number of scientific and technical, technological discoveries and inventions and advancements in recent years, which have indeed eased pain and added efficiency in our lives, still today, if you uh, read studies, people describe themselves as feeling more depressed and anxious and defeated and hopeless emotionally and, and spiritually and psychologically than they did decades ago when there were not these technological and health care advances. We look at the world around us today and, and the, the people around us that we know and love, and we see very often there's a, an absence of enthusiasm for almost anything constructive in life, in spite of all of the fantastic material advantages that we have at our disposal. We have miracle-working drugs and surgical techniques which add years to the human life compared to the generations that have gone before us throughout human history. We apparently have little or nothing that brings greater meaning and happiness to people. We constantly hear talk about increasing employment and worker productivity, but too many people in the working world are concerned only with wages and improved working conditions and therefore are no better than what our reading describes as the slave or the worker. In our modern day, we've given a a tremendous amount of attention to enable people to know themselves individually, to relate more easily to others, to handle stress in the context of holistic health. But Job's sleepless nights and months of emptiness are still widely prevalent among the people of our country and around the world. A rebellious child goes awry with no evidence of repentance. A young adult is in that period of becoming an adult and struggling with personal identity or or the choice of vocation for the future. Or someone in, in any age group 
is awaiting the results of tests as to whether the growth that has been discovered is benign or, God forbid, malignant. Whatever our condition, we toss in our beds throughout the night, wondering and worrying what the ultimate result will be. The dawn, the morning, seems to be light years away as we just wish we could get a few minutes of sleep. Nothing is answered. The problems become more complex. The more we wrestle with those problems, we pray unceasingly, but it seems as if our prayers are answered only by an echo. God seems to be so far away, so distant, doesn't seem to be speaking into the situations that we face in life. When anxieties and frustrations and dead ends pile up, like Job, we may wonder whether life has any meaning at all. Life is so short. Here today and gone tomorrow. For the the young child, it, it might seem like an eternity, but for adults, very often it seems so very brief, like a cloud that is there and in the next moment vanishes away. I've heard... Uh, Older members of our church at at the death of a spouse reflect on how it seems like it was just yesterday that they and their spouse were married and now they're saying goodbye at the side of a casket or a grave. Life's years, as Job describes, are indeed swifter than a weaver's shuttle. What's the remedy? To whom should we go? Where is the answer for the human condition with its inevitable frustrations and pessimism? Ultimately, for Job, he found it, as we read at the end of the book of Job, in the whirlwind in which he heard the voice of God assuring him that as the creator and the sustainer of the universe, he was and is still in full control of the world and of our lives. Our confidence is in that same God. And this epiphany season of the church year makes our assurance even more certain because that God who spoke to Job has in a very specific and concrete way joined our human family in the person of Jesus Christ who is indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords, true God from true God. This is the one, as we sang in our opening hymn, who is the brightest and best of the stars of the morning. If in the gospel readings of the epiphany season, we see that Jesus can do miraculous things, that he can heal every sickness and disease and and cast out powerful demons that had afflicted some people for years, he can calm powerful raging storms simply by speaking, that he can multiply a, a small amount of food to feed thousands of people with enough left over to spare. He can raise the dead back to life. Certainly, he also has the power to care and watch over each of us. Specifically, Jesus invited us in Matthew chapter 11 to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His concern and love for us were never more dramatically demonstrated than on the cross. There he gave his life in place of our life so that all of us can be reconciled to God so that we might live in the forgiveness of sins that he won for us there on the cross. 
have peace with God that lasts now and continues beyond our physical death into eternal life with him in heaven. His love is so much greater also. Besides that greatest gift of all of the forgiveness of sins, God assures us that if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Will he not also give and assure us of meaning in our lives? Yes, life is indeed short and and seemingly futile or vain, but in God's hands, our life is precious and priceless. Through Jesus, God has given us a whole new understanding of our human existence on this earth. Every moment now, because of Jesus, is a treasure, a gift from a generous God to be used in service to God and, and to those whom God has placed around us in our lives. Indeed, God does give us individually moments for our own use and enjoyment, for self-improvement. But the ultimate goal for all of us who have seen the cross of Jesus, who have seen his loving care and concern, is to share that same love and concern for the rest of humanity who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. In the face of the resurrection, life we know is a divine gift, a gift of God's grace, a priceless opportunity for us. We know that our true home is in heaven, that here on this earth we are simply foreigners in a strange land who are sent on a mission from God himself. Our mission for, as the Bible says, for the 70 or 80 years, if we have the strength on this earth, is to serve our King, our Savior Jesus, so that other people might also be saved and enjoy that eternal life with him and with us in heaven as well. And yes, indeed, life on this earth has its crosses, its trials, its tribulations. For many people who are familiar with the the account of Job's life, the the very name of Job himself has been equated with with suffering and hardship. As Job said in chapter 5, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. But our Lord is constantly there to calm the waters in the midst of the storms of our life and to give us peace of mind in the midst of affliction. He, in his proven faithfulness, will give us healing as he has promised in his own time and according to his divine plan for our good and the good of others. But as Jesus reminds us, in this world, we will have trouble. And then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's calling us to accept that because this world is sinful, there will be trouble. We should not expect that God will remove all trouble from this life because that would be to remove us from this world, which at some point in his grace he will do. But in this world, we will have trouble. But God calls on us to look to him with confidence in the midst of these troubles. Remember the Apostle Paul who had some, what what exactly he didn't describe, some thorn in his flesh that he pleaded with God three times to take away from him, something that afflicted him, caused him great anguish, and uh, he described it as a messenger of Satan to torment me, and this was God's answer to him. 
He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that may, in many cases, be God's answer to our earnest pleadings as well. God, let this cross be taken from me. Maybe he will. But maybe he will say, my grace is sufficient for you while you bear this cross for whatever period of time you bear it in this life. That is what gives true meaning to us in our lives, uh, that we are living under the grace of God in Jesus our Savior. We don't need to deny the reality of the hardships and the sufferings that afflict also believers in God and in Jesus. Our modern technological world still has many seemingly mindless and meaningless jobs. But if that's the way you feel in your job, think about how you can best serve God in this vocation, even though you might struggle with trying to find meaning in the midst of it. God is still eager that we all use our God-given talents and time for the enrichment of the world and for the benefit of others. As Christians, we are more than just slaves and, and hired workers, as Job describes. For every one of us here in our church this morning, for everyone within our country and in our world, Jesus is the one who can give true meaning to the seeming meaninglessness of our lives sometimes. Jesus is the only one who can give true hope to the seeming hopelessness that we find ourselves in. Jesus is the only one who can give true life to our lifelessness. That is God's grace in the midst of affliction. For that we thank and praise him.